G'day everyone, welcome back to the Talking Leadership podcast series. By way of introduction, my guest today is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Swine Tech. Can I welcome to the podcast, Matthew Roder? How are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for the opportunity today. It was fun hearing from you. I actually just did a presentation two nights ago to a group of a few hundred individuals in Australia for the pork industry. So it's it's fitting that uh, I'm on a call with you here today. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So look, before we get into the questions, Matthew, can I get a bit, a bit of a sense for the listeners about how you got to the role of president, why you started Swine Tech, and what is it about being your own boss, being the, the head of an organization that appeals to you? So I grew up in the swine industry, grew up in a family of agriculture, grew up in an agriculture family, but also in an entrepreneurial family. My mom's side was a little more entrepreneurial. My dad's side was rooted in agriculture. So I had a lot of those perspectives growing up. When I was studying at the University of Iowa, genetics and biotechnology and planning to be an obstetrician and go into medical school, the University of Iowa prompted students with a $3,000 grant for a student with a good business idea. Well, a lot of experiences that I had in animal agriculture tied to pigs dying from various reasons, specifically from their mom rolling on them, um, had encouraged me to think through ways we might solve that, but never really had the finances to even pursue it and just kind of thought it as fun napkin ideas, right? And I presented it and I got the $3,000. And then that followed with another 5,000 and then 20,000. And then the next thing you know, we had $350,000 from Microsoft, MIT, Harvard, Princeton, Under Armour even. And with that, it served as seed money that allowed us to go out there and create a voice recognition technology to save pigs lives during the birthing process. So that's how I got to that. Uh, The president and CEO, the benefit of starting a company is you give yourself your own title. And so my co-founder and I both saw where we could best fit and and serve a business together. And I was in the CEO role. He's in the COO role. But other than that, uh, it's kind of how we got there. It's uh, interesting that a career pathway that might take you one way ends up taking you in a completely different area. And I, I guess what you've helped me to understand, and, and I've, I've had a couple of hundred discussions with leaders in different fields, that it appears to me that in some circumstances, if you go with what you know and what you love and you have a passion for and you turn it into a business, it tends to be a success. And and if you add the element of that entrepreneurial side of things, which you said you did, I think it would make for an interesting career pathway. I, I think many that will listen to this will be uh, very jealous of the pathway you took because you're doing what the, what it is that you love to do and that you have an interest in. Obviously, you, you have a a specialization in the swine sector and, and you're meeting people in the US. In meeting those people, you've obviously met some leaders. So let me ask you this, how do you define leadership? Uh, leadership to me was always something that I witnessed from my grandparents and, and my parents. And to me, it was always an example-based thing. It's You led by example. You led by showing on your sleeve what matters to you. Are you going to to get in and and do the hard work? Are you willing to do the hard work? Are you willing to be there for others when they need you? Good leadership is serving others, in my opinion. And if you serve others, that means you're going to have to do a little bit of everything. And it might not be what you want in that moment, but you're going to have to be versatile in that whole process. So that that's all a part of it. I think there's a lot of ways I'm good at serving others. And there are a lot of ways I still have to work on, but that to me is what leadership is. 
Is it something in your mind, because you're in a leadership role now, is it, is it a process that you're continually working on? Do you sit back when potentially some things don't go well and ask yourself, what could I have done better? That idea of being a reflective leader practitioner, is that something that, that, that is important to you? That would be part one. And then do you seek external feedback to get, get yourself better at what you do? Because, and, and why I ask that, and for those that are listening, Matthew's smiling here, is it's easy to say for anyone, yeah, I'm, I'm very introspective. I'm always thinking about things. But I think th- uh, what links better practice when it comes to leadership is being able to take feedback. Is that something that, that you do as part of your growth as a leader? Yeah, yeah, there's some there's some fun things there. So like when we look at leadership and personal development and everything that goes into that, I actually had a a guy I was meeting with, a mentor, and he said, "You know all those leadership books? They're nice, but it's all bullshit." He said, "It's all bullshit." He's like, "Maybe for some of them it's good, but at the end of the day, we all have our own style. No, there's no cookie cutter style. There's no template. There's no step 1, step 2, step 3. You need to Take what you're reading and find your own style and then refine it. So for me, we always tried to surround ourselves with mentors and advisors. And that helps when you're focused on surrounding yourself with people to help with that. But at the end of the day, I think my relationship with my fiance (laughs) helped me more than anything in regards to some of these areas, because usually when you're asking for help or mentorship, you're focusing on areas that you enjoy, focusing on areas where you see yourself as a strength. And then you get in a relationship and you start to identify the areas where they're not strengths. And what I noticed was that, let's call it not always wanted feedback, transferred into really good tendencies for me in the workplace. It's sometimes empathy or listening or whatever it might be. Good leadership skills does, don't just come from mentors. They don't just come from books. They come from every relationship we have and every aspect of our life. And it's just a matter of identifying in each of those experiences, what element of this am I working on? Am I learning? Am I growing? It's, it, it's a full package. There, there's aspects of leadership, but leadership as itself is everything. And it's just finding ways to be your best self in everything you do, but not just be your best self for yourself, but be yourself best self for others, which kind of ties it back to the serving component. And that's why it is such an all-encompassing thing. Thank you for that. The the example you gave there of your your fiance and congratulations on the fiance ship. Um, that that getting that feedback from someone you're very close to, uh, you know, you know, as much as it's subjective and probably biased in some ways, can be quite confronting. Particularly, like you said, when sometimes the feedback's not necessarily asked for, but it, it comes <laughs> it, it comes to you because I. I'm being realistic here. I think it's extremely difficult to get a subordinate into a room, let's say someone that's worked with you for a while and and look at them dead in the eye and say, I want you to give me feedback, good, bad, and and ugly about what I'm doing. But most people want to secure their jobs and don't want to say anything to piss off the boss. So I think in those situations, it's you're not going to get genuine feedback. And I, I also really like that idea that in all your relationships outside of the work context, if it helps you to build as a person, and then it helps you to do that thing that you're talking about, which is being of service to others. As soon as you go down that track, I think the implicit assumption there is you're about others, not necessarily yourself. That doesn't mean you don't concentrate on you, but- Oh yeah, still very ambitious and motivated, but for whatever reason, that's just what it all comes back to. For me, Matthew McConaughey had a book called Green Lights, and it was a story of his life that he told and read. And- When I hear of leadership or personal growth through a story, it's much better for me 
than if it comes across as a textbook. I'm just not going to connect the same way. I'm not there to get the step-by-step approach. I'm there to be inspired or to be curious. And so when I get it in a step-by-step approach, it just kind of turns me off and I don't connect with it the same way. There seems to be a almost a fundamental pull towards hearing a story and learning and gaining something from somebody's adventure or misadventures, whatever whatever the case may be, that you yep. can learn something from that. But someone who sets it out in a uh, step-by-step, you do step one, if step one doesn't work, then look at this and look at that. I could see why they might that might turn you off if you're looking to be inspired. You you're a you're a leader, you're a decision maker, you've got to get things happening in your business. And I didn't coin the following phrase, but I like using it in the podcast, the lonely road of leadership. So is leadership a lonely path or is it as lonely as you make it? Hmm, it's a good question. It's definitely a lonely path, but I could also say it's as lonely as you make it. I'm a very talkative, transparent person about things that are going well and things that aren't going well. I'm typically fairly reserved or resilient. And that's just because I come into a perspective. There's things I can change and there's things I can't change. So the things that are going poorly that I really can't change, I don't let them personally affect me too much, which is great for stress. It's great for longevity, but it's possible those things I don't talk about are things I actually could change or could have an impact on. So I got to challenge myself to share more, but it's just lonely. I mean, especially if you're an entrepreneur, your investors are there to want that to help you, but they have two hats. They're advisors and mentors, but they're also investors. Your employees are there to help you, but they're employees. They're not, they're not the, the running the business. And so everybody has all these different hats. You have all these different hats and there, there have to be filters. Otherwise people can misunderstand or misinterpret what you're saying. And usually when people are venting, They're not necessarily being too careful about what they're saying and how they're saying it. So it might not be lonely, but it's really hard to find a safe place to vent. That's an extremely helpful insight, Matthew, The this idea that in, in multiple levels, I have to say that you're juggling and use the analogy of hats that you're, you're trying to find where you fit in that system. And it's like you're in the middle of investors, mentors, and other stakeholders, as well as your employees, and you have to manage those relationships. And they're typically people-focused. I guess the the idea that it is a lonely pathway is, I think you can't escape that as a natural part of doing what it is that you do, because you, you straddle two worlds. You're the CEO and you're an entrepreneur. And so by its very definition, starting the business wasn't going to be the brainchild of a hundred people. It was going to be the brainchild of yourself and possibly a co a co-founder. And that's it. So you two are um, you two are it. And so that it's necessarily built that way. I guess how you diminish the idea of decision making being a lonely pathway is what systems have you set up to help you make as informed a decision you can, but ultimately you're going to make the yes or go yes or no decision at the end despite of all the feedback that comes in. And so where that gets tricky is if it goes well, everyone hopefully can hold their hands up and say, yeah, we did it. But when it goes to poo, uh, the person that's ultimately responsible is you. Yes. I mean, when we look at this though, I mean, I am mindful that when I think about investors, when I think about employees, like they're also in that position, right? They also have to have filters. They also have things. So it's, I think we're all in this position, regardless of where we are in life, regardless of what role, if you're an intern, You can't just share your mind with the entire team and the owner, right? There's things you just can't say. So we all have filters. We all have to be professional. We all have to manage that. We're not all Elon Musk where we can start putting cowboy hats on and start smoking weed and talking about how we feel. So 
we have to be careful. And that in itself brings us a sense of loneliness. But when we do support ourselves with groups that we can trust, we can start to break free from that. And what we did within our team is we had kind of a leadership team of individuals where we did start to share feedback. And, but we did it more introspectively where we went around a table and we said, share with us the areas that you think your strengths are helping you and where you think they might be hindering you. And by the time we went around the table, we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, sounds like you're pretty self-aware. Is there any way we can help, help you manage that? I mean, most people want, to, want feedback, but they don't always like being told, here's your problem. But if you sit with somebody and ask them, what are you self-aware of? That's a problem. And then they tell you, they're probably going to tell you exactly what you think they need to know. And then you can just say, are, are you open to talking through ways to help with that? Or is there anything we can do? And they usually come up with great ideas. So understanding everyone may not be a leader in the sense of how most people see a leader. Everyone is a leader of themselves. And, and in that sense, they're, they're going through similar decision-making processes and have to overcome similar barriers just at a smaller scale. Could not disagree with that. Matthew, measuring success. Now, this this question is part of the, the podcast process. It's not um, for you to, to, to tell me your numbers and what you've done one month to the yeah. next or one day to the next. It's more outside of that um, metric. What does measuring success or what does success look like for you? I mean, that's a tough that's a tough question. I feel like I knew better what success looked like for me in my life, the younger and stupider I was, right? I mean, everything is, is all in front of you and I'm still very young. So success for me today is redefining and transforming the pork industry in the way that people and pigs come together to feed the world. That is the first and foremost focus of mine today. There's a ton of interests I have outside of the swine industry. And whether or not I get to do those, I don't know. Uh, how I get involved and, sh- and spend my time is is a part of that. I think that is that is success, and it's it's short term. My mindset on what is success for me, it's the role I'm in today. It's doing well in this role, and hopefully doing it at, doing it in a near term. Hopefully, it doesn't take 20 years, right? Hopefully, it's a three to five year kind of thing, and then move on to, to expanding on that goal or or changing it altogether. I mean, it it could be switching to another industry. It could be a completely different problem. But trying to stay hyper focused, and focus being the key word, it's being focused on what does success mean in the near term without compromising my values or my relationships and preserving that uh, for, for all the other definitions of success that might come in the future. When I was younger, success meant X, Y, Z. And as I got a few years and, and got married and had kids, success changed. And, and what brought meaning to me in my life in terms of success changed as well because you start asking some of those fundamental questions and I think you captured it right at the end there by saying staying true to your values that that gets a lot more important as you age with a partner even without a partner with family with kids with life around you and you also threw it into that mix which makes the leadership discussion that much more complicated but uh, super interesting for a geek like myself is you talked about I've got other interests and I, I could hear the entrepreneur coming out going I'm doing stuff in the swine industry but what other things could I be doing and um, I think that natural level of curiosity but 
understanding that you have to stay, I would have used the word focused. You use the word hyper-focused. And I guess that's a, that's a product of if you want to change your industry, which is a massive goal, which you just outlined before, if you're not hyper-focused on that, nothing's ever going to change. And mm-hmm. um, being a change agent in an industry is extremely difficult. Like my, my nine to five job is working in the commercial seafood industry and being an agent of change in a complex system of stakeholders and people with vested interests and, and working in, in complex fields like agriculture, more power to you. I think it's the difficulty there is you're not dealing with one group of stakeholders. You are dealing with multiple groups of stakeholders and not always, not always stakeholders that want to play in that space in good faith. Your response was extremely interesting and, and I think if you can stay true to your values as a leader you're always going to be effective in that sense if, if you don't have a value set that you bring to the job are you doing leadership you're doing something it may not be leadership that's a subjective view of mine and, and feel free to disagree do, do you think that's I'm on the I'm on the right track there yeah I'd say on the right, right track I think like a big challenge is when you find something you love that you enjoy and you feel start feeling more content, it's scary because content, awesome, but it's also not growth. And so this battle of I'm happy, is that a good thing? (laughs) So especially when you're 28 and you're just getting started with a professional career, like I'm really happy with, with where we're at, but there's a lot of things that I need to keep challenging myself and others to go and do because it's okay to be happy and challenged to just that whole battle with what is content and is, is happy bad. It's, it's interesting. Sorry. Did I hear you right? You said you're 28. Oh shit. Oh, I've got 20 years on you, mate. Oh, wow. <laughs> you don't look it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> wow. 28. Look, staying in an industry for that length of time, trying to enact change can lead to levels of burnout. And I've seen it in my industry yeah. where, where not myself as an advocate, but people working in the industry have tried to make change for so long that they just, they become embittered is not the right word. I think it's skeptical of anything to do with change in industry and, and trying to get over that, that degree of skepticism. And sometimes um, that who gives a crap mentality is quite difficult. And I, I guess that then draws on your skills as a leader to try and get people over that hump and give them a pathway that they can get onto that will help sort of move things along, which is what you need to do as a leader anyway, which which segues, I think, nicely into the topic area, Matthew, of leader capabilities. Now, you've mentioned what you believe they are and in this discussion but if i asked you potentially and this is a new question i'm I'm testing out here so hopefully you can help me with this from your perspective is if you had to rank a group of capabilities that make you super effective what would they be uh so i'd say confidence has to be there if you're going to lead others you have to be confident uh in yourself and your decisions so some self-assurance some confidence empathy i think has to be there I'm a, I'm, I'm a self-assured individual who's, who's confident, not always as empathetic as I should be. So as I rattle these off, also know that uh, they don't all have to be perfect, but elements of them are, are very, very substantial. And I think communication, you're going to have to be able to communicate really well, you have to be empathetic to others. You're going to have to be able to be confident in decisions, even if everybody might disagree. So you have to also be okay taking command of the situation if needed, because everyone's looking to you. Like you said, you win together. Sometimes you fail alone. 
And uh, you need to, when crap hits the fan, you need to be able to accept that. So you need to stand up for yourself. But yeah, I'd say communication, empathy, confidence. That's a really good foundational list. I've come at it a little different, but I think we're not off the same page. To me, the others that I would add to that mix, if it was me, was degree of uh, ability to be introspective and seek feedback. And the other two that I've studied in some, some postgraduate studies I've done is looking at this idea of strategic thinking and foresight that these elements make for the most effective leaders in my opinion. And why I say that is, um, and the example I'm, I'm tending to use now is you could have the best story in the world and get people enamored with the story. If you can't then deliver it through a strategic pathway to get to a goal and you don't have the ability to see other possibilities that are not achievable versus achievable, you're not going to get anywhere. And and vice versa, you might have the best plan in the world. You might have the best vision in the world. You might have uh, the best ability to marshal all of your resources. But if you can't sell, uh, and I'll, I'll use this term, the business case for people to get on board, it doesn't go anywhere either. So a lot of these capabilities I'm finding are complex, they're interconnected, and to try and tease them out individually is an academic exercise. It's not a practical, everyday operational exercise for a leader. Does that does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about the ability to be a visionary, be futuristic, be able to see and decide where things are going, that's where I bring in that uh, confidence component because we all have perspectives. The visionaries are the ones that bring bring confidence to their perspective, to their ideas. And so you need to have confidence that what you are seeing, what you are discerning, what you're putting together is a reality that exists, is a reality that can exist. Because if you can't be confident in yourself and your own perspective, then you're not going to be confident in a decision that you need to make around which direction do we take this ship. And so... That I, I, they definitely interlink. They're definitely academic. I don't think we can sit here and say, I'm going to work on myself to figure out how I'm better visionary and more confident. It's, it's, it's all together. It's, it's, a, it's a full package. I'm starting to have thoughts in that regard, and I don't think it's a new thought, but I, I really think the, that distinction between the practical application of what leadership is and the leadership process these things are interconnected they can change situationally uh, and what makes it interesting for someone like me who wants to do research in this area is how do you develop people to be better at some of these things if they're core capabilities so if we're agreed for the purposes of this conversation that let's say we go with strategic thinking as one capability that Matthew Rota decides I want all of my senior people to be really good at uh, strategic thinking not planning not not coming up with a plan the strategic thought process you're going to need to know some things and one of those things is well what's the baseline of your people at the yeah. moment if you had to measure it they may say to you well I'm an awesome strategic thinker what what of it well, let's get a measure to see just how strategic you are. And if and not as a way to denigrate the 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 people that you're talking to, it's more to understand if we can understand what the baseline is, we can think about what are the interventions required to make you even better at that process. If you value strategic thinking, if you don't, then yeah. it can be any other capability. It could be now I'm 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 not I'm not an expert here. Uh, you talked about empathy before, and that everyone has the capacity, except if you're a sociopath, uh, to be empathetic. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not demonstrating enough of that in a role, I'm sure there are ways to help you understand what empathy means in a business context that you could get training in. But if you don't 
ask the question, is, are these things uh, important to me and my team and their leadership pathway? And if they are, what does it look like now? And let's get some intervention in. These are complicated questions and they're not uh, fixable overnight. And so the the idea of, of um, progressing leadership skill building is an important one because outside of you, I would suggest, Matthew, if you've got others that are leading elements of your business, you would hope that they've got these skill sets in action. And if they don't, they are seeking ways to get better at his, at that task. Is that Does that make sense? Yes. I, I'd say, though, if Elon had four other Elons, they'd all shoot each other, right? Like, So you got to surround yourself with varying leadership perspectives and then just find sure. that, that cohesive, complementary kind of formula there because- Every business is a formula of individuals who work well together. And if there were a bunch of me's, I think killing somebody would actually happen if there was 10 of me. So I misspoke, Matthew. I, I get what you're saying. I didn't mean yeah. um, that they need to be clones <laughs> oh, of you. Adding to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I think the, that that approach that you're talking about is eminently the right one, is that um, you want to surround yourself with people with varying skill sets and skill sets that allow them to question processes in the business to make those processes better, not to clash heads with you. Yeah. If you surround yourself with good leaders with different leadership styles that complement you, that means they're going to be calling you out. So your support system is actually the other leaders you surround yourself with within your business. There's, I am not the most detail-oriented person. Well, there's a couple of leaders in my business who let me know every single time <laughs> that I do something that could compromise the future success of the company, which is exactly what I need. So knowing that that was a choice and that I think, I think an element of leadership is walking in eyes wide open that I am choosing to be a leader in this situation. And by choosing to be a leader, I am choosing to accept the feedback from others in the mindset that it is helping me be better. It is helping me make up for my shortcomings or build on my strengths. And I think that mindset is ultimately what makes somebody a leader or not a leader, not a good leader, but a leader. To be a leader versus not a leader is the mindset that I'm stepping in open to feedback, good or bad. So Matthew, the nature versus nurture question. I love this question. So I'll put it this way. Are leaders born or are they made? I believe that it's a bit of both, which is a big answer you might not want, but I believe that we're all born with tendencies or abilities that will give us an advantage in a particular area. I mean, you just look at IQ is a great way to start with this whole conversation. IQ, it's it is what it is, but EQ and those other components can be built upon. When I was growing up, I am sure that the environment I grew up with and the people I grew up around and their thought processes worked in helping me develop in certain ways, certain aspects of the brain, all of that. So I think it's a, it's a combo of both. There's an intelligence component that is, is what it is. I think that's very nature, but there is a use of that intelligence, a leadership component of that intelligence that I think is nurtured. Uh, the last question I tend to use is about looking back at your leadership pathway, but I remember in interacting with your profile on LinkedIn that says you've been at this for about seven years. So you're about 21, 22 when you started the business. Yeah. So I, I can't ask you to go back decades of experience because at 17, you weren't doing this. So let me put this to you a slightly different way. If you could go back to when you started this, the business that you're in now, Swine Tech, if you had to go back to that younger version of yourself, what would you say about being a more effective leader if you had to do it again? Yeah, I guess before I get, I'm going to give a little bit of context. 
So when I, when I got into college, I started a role at a South farm to paid well. And within the next week and a half, they had such high turnover. I became in charge of a lot of it. And at one point they demoted somebody with 30 years of it or 15 years of experience and made me their manager at 18, not 19 at the time. That was a learning lesson. Not only that I'm in a blue collar industry, blue collar is a little bit, you do what I told you, to, I, you do what I tell you because I told you. There's a lot less asking of why. And so I was around that kind of environment. I was in those tough situations that by the time I stepped out, went to school, got back in, my tendencies were to be very dictatorial, very authoritative, very go do this, do this, listen, come on very aggressive. And it didn't take me long to learn that in an engineering world or in more of a professional world outside of more of a blue collar environment, those don't work well. <laughs> so I had to pull on other individuals growing up that I had learned and watched. And, and my parents and my grandparents were those individuals that I had to reorient myself to, as opposed to maybe recent jobs that I had held. Um, in nursing homes or in, in farms and where things were a little bit more authoritative. And so that, that's, that's the advice I would have. I'd say, I'd say, Matthew, as you start doing this, think about how your parents and your grandparents led others and, and, and managed teams. Go with that because that was ultimately what was the, the, the right approach for me as opposed to some of the tendencies I'd picked up at other other jobs and uh sounds like uh practical common sense advice uh matthew thank you for your time so before we end the podcast can you give the listeners a bit of a sense as to what swine tech does and i'll put a link to swine tech and yourself in the podcast description yeah so swine tech originally started by creating voice recognition technologies for pig production where we were able to look at the waveforms frequencies of pig squeals triangulate their location and use chiropractic technology to save that pig in the moment without any person needing to be around is automating life-saving technology for piglets in the birthing process. And it evolved into also a software company where we provided workforce management and swine management uh, a platform for the industry to not only better leverage and support their people with resources to provide more high quality individualized care but to also serve as a platform for the management and utilization of precision technologies and grow more into individual care traceability in that regard. So right now we are a software platform for the pork industry, helping make the most of our people process pigs, precision technologies and planet. And that's just what we're focused on. Brilliant. Matthew Rota, thank you for your time today. Thank you. For those listening, this has been the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you again for supporting what we're trying to do here to build conversations around leadership. I'll catch everyone on the next podcast.